This is the Formation Lab. Welcome one, welcome all to the Outlab Podcast slash the Formation Lab. Formation Lab slash the Outlab Podcast. Whichever <laughs> you want to do. It is just Tim and Andy holding it down. Uh, Tim from the Formation Lab, Andy from uh, the Outlap Podcast. Obviously, uh, the two MVPs of each show, so don't <laughs> worry. Great hands this week. Um, we're going to break down the Hungarian Grand Prix whole weekend. It was it was kind of wild. Andy, kind of what what are your initial thoughts before we take a dive? I think I even commented on my Twitter this weekend. And what, number one, it's great to be be on with you, um, and it's it's fun to be here and talking about the the sport that I love. But uh, I would say it was kind of F one in the bizarro world, and the twilight zone was kind of I think a, a theme, especially you know up through qualifying, where you know up was down. You had Ferrari desperately trying to get into Q three. You had Racing Point, you know, setting purple sectors here and there. Um, Williams at one point I think was P three in one of the qualifying sessions. You know. Which, which was just crazy. So you take that, you had the threat of rain. We had some wet weather. Race itself was, I would say, yeah, about maybe maybe closer to a 7 out of 10. You know, not the super entertaining thing that we had in the first couple races in Austria. No huge, you know, last lap, you know, great things going on. But still a fun race. You kind of get a little bit more feel of where kind of the, the, the pecking order is. Um, and some weird stewarding decisions that we're going to get into in a little bit. Absolutely. No, I, I think, you know, for the second triple header in the last few years, um, the last one is always a little iffy. You never really know how it's going to go. I don't think we saw a safety car. During, no, we didn't. So that was that was a first for this year. Um, you know, and we the, the whole weekend itself was a little bizarre. You're right. Uh, practices. Uh, some teams were definitely on the back foot. Ferrari specifically, like you pointed out. Um, to the point where uh, Mattia Bonato actually uh, got chipped at by uh, Total Wolf. Total Wolf got frustrated with poor Mattia. Uh, specifically in a press conference, uh, Bonato said, certainly as Ferrari, we have to adapt. And uh, as simple of output as that, we lost some performance we had. Uh, and Total Wolf, clear, and the comment is clearly incensed, described Bonato's comments regarding the other manufacturers as, Another complete bullshit story. So um, my fandom of uh, Total Wolf continues. Um, but, yeah, no, we had some practices and, you know, nothing really of note to, to go through with the practices. I think it all starts in qualifying where you're right. Uh, Williams outperformed again this weekend with uh, George Russell putting in an insane lap. That had that, that had him well into Q2, and then also uh, Nicholas Latifi, who, as uh, for a pay driver, again, I can't I can't slag him off too bad. No, that Williams car is definitely coming around, you know, may, albeit you know probably slowly. But you look at some of the the splits as between where they were last year and where they were this year, the Williams car is so far to the to the left of that graphic in terms of minusing their or taking away from their lap time. It's really quite astounding. Um, and it just goes to show how bad the car was last year. So, I mean, they finally got their stuff together. You know, the, I have my, my personal theory is, you know, Pat Fry should be one of the more sought after people in Formula One because he's done it with McLaren. He's doing it now with Williams. And it's really fun to see. You watch kind of the boomerang effect between, you know, you go to the back and then they come back up. 
And so, so fair play to them. Great lap by Russell. That dude's definitely feeling the confidence that he got, you know, through the esports and, and and the lockdown. So fair play to them. The odd thing of qualifying was where the heck did Red Bull go? You know, for a downforce, a high downforce track, they can't get high downforce. That was kind of crazy, wasn't it? Well, and and Honda period. Right. Like on both Honda Power teams were just well off the straight line speed of everyone else. And yeah, no, the 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 cornering speeds they were on par, if not a little bit slower than any Mercedes powered team. So it was really kind of weird on a circuit that's not known for power. You're right, as you pointed out, it's a chassis circuit that should be an Adrian Newey special. Right. Like I actually thought that this was going to be their best chance to get a win, and boy, was I wrong. Yeah, I mean, if we if we actually look at uh, the the qualifying, I know, and we'll we'll kind of park it here for just a few minutes. Um, Alexander Albon had a, a lot of very public disagreement with Red Bull in Q2, releasing him into traffic uh, the last time, the time before that. He didn't. Uh, he was complaining about oversteer with the car. Both Red Bull cars were oversteering like crazy. Yeah. Max Verstappen, if you look at the onboards, um, if anybody has F1 TV Pro, um, that part is working now, third race into the season. I'm happy about that. Um, but you could definitely go on board and see Max really struggling with that wheel a lot harder. And I, I couldn't really figure out why, but Albon was very, very, very public about his um, displeasure with the car and displeasure with the team for releasing him into traffic where um, Max Verstappen never is released in, into traffic. And so it was it was kind of baffling to see, but he was out in Q2. So that's which was also astounding, you know, just yes. for again, for that circuit to to not expect them to be even both cars in Q3 was just like I said, that that was it was F1 Bizarro World on Saturday. It, it really was. And, um, you know, and then Max Verstappen, it's not just that he barely made it into Q3. It's that he qualified seventh. Yeah. So if one of the mo- one of the most talented drivers of a generation can only wrestle your car to seventh. That's that's not good for Red Bull. I don't know who's who's going to be, you know, shellacked over the weekend or the next two weeks before Silverstone. But wow. Yeah. And and for, you know, I think a lot of people were trying to put Red Bull into that. You know, maybe they could. I always called Red Bull kind of they needed to be a foil to Mercedes, meaning they could at least push them on strategy. They could at least make them have to try really hard, you know, to, to pull off these one twos. Now, if Red Bull's not there, it's racing point, <laughs> I mean, which, which, which is unbelievable enough to say as it is. But that's kind of where we are right now. So it was well, just not that, expected at all. Yeah. And that leads us nicely into the, the capper on uh, the pre-race uh, shenanigans for the weekend. Uh, racing point locks out the second row, third and fourth with. And I can't believe I'm saying this. Lance Stroll in P3. Now, I get it. I'm going to get tweets. I know I am. You know who you are on Twitter. And I, I do have to eat crow. After after this weekend, I will admit Lance Troll did an admirable job. He out-qualified uh, Checo by, you know, two-tenths uh, in the final qualifying. So that was pretty good. Um, and... Uh, I, I will say, though, that it is impressive to see the uh, 2019 Mercedes locking out the second row of a 2020 race. So 
Um, and, you know, Andy and I had discussed before we went live with the show, uh, Renault went and decided to uh, protest the car again. So they must be really sure about the hand they have to have uh, lodged that complaint again. Yeah, this thing's going to end up in a courtroom, probably via some teleconference now. You know, normally it would end up in a courtroom. And I would always say, you know, if, at least if it was going to be in a courtroom, can we make them wear the old British wigs, you know, when they go in and do stuff like this? Because, you know, that would just be appropriate and so Formula One. But they're not going to do that. Anyway, Racing Point are going after the brake ducts. And what it really basically is is the innards of the brake ducts. And whether or not they're an exact copy of the Mercedes – if they are, it's then it becomes, okay, well, how did you get that? You could clearly copy the outside, and the teams are all kind of saying now, well, we're, we're, we're conceding that you can do the 3D printing of the stuff on the outside, but you can't necessarily know without having some sort of inside information uh, where the innards of those brake ducts came from. So, like I said, it's, they've impounded them from last week. They're looking at the Mercedes ones from last from last year. And it's going to end up going into a hearing and it ultimately adjudicated by the FIA. But who knows where this is going to go? But it's going to set a major precedent because we've never had anything like this in Formula One in the history of the championship. So, you know, where this goes, if if the if the if Renault wins, it kills Racing Point. If Renault loses, well, then we kind of all keep kind of going on with kind of how we're going. And you also got to remember, these are only temporary. You're only going to see this car for maybe one, maybe next year, too, before the big rule change kicks in. Yeah. And I I think it's going to have big ramifications on the future of how teams are structured. Like if if Renault wins, obviously copying, you have to go more toward the Haas business model. If Racing Point wins and everybody else doesn't strip their cars down and go toward the old Mercedes, uh, design what are you doing right. uh, you are you're, you're foolish for not doing that um but uh racing point and everything uh before we move on to the race itself another big storyline through the weekend was the connection between sebastian vettel and racing point aka force india aka <laughs> aston martin aka papa strolls team uh so let we'll we'll say it's papa strolls team it's going to be aston Martin. Mercedes would obviously love a German driver in their car. It would probably mean that Checo is out, which to me is a, is just a cry and shame. But Checo has another seat. He did talk openly about uh, having other interests, and I believe that came from one Gene Haas, if I'm reading the, the, the room well enough. But uh, I would say that Haas would be the next destination. I would love to see Roman Grosjean off the grid because He's quite crashy. <laughs> and, and, uh, and what is – yeah, that was one of the things we talk about is what is he still doing on the grid? I don't know what value – obviously Gene thinks that, that Roman is bringing some sort of real good value to the team. I haven't seen it other than complaining about his brakes again and it's again. It's got to be funny. And again. Got, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, to, to put an actual – I mean, obviously, you saw today Kevin Magnuson can get out a result, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But um, Grosjean just appears to be nowhere, and he just appears to be lacking confidence. Not only that, but he's trying to basically say his future is tied to the future of the team. And Gunther Steiner's like, uh, no, we're still going to be here. We might just be here without you. 
So, the, you know, the big difference there. So, you know, yeah. it's going to see a Checo Magnuson lineup, I think, would be actually really quite a strong driver lineup. Can the question is going to be, can Haas deliver a car that both of those guys can get the most out of? And if they have the extra funding, because Checo comes with a pretty big pocketbook. Right. So, um, you know, if, if they do have something for them, you know, those two drivers are, uh, I think that the appropriate term is ferocious. Um, I don't think anybody has, you know, talked about how kind they are around when being passed. They are <laughs> defensive drivers. Uh, you know, Nico Hulkenberg famously said uh, Magnuson's the most unsporting driver. And some nice things have not been said about Checo. So, um, but I think. Well, well, I don't know if I can tell you how uh, Magnuson responded to it because I, I think it's a public show. It, it, let's, uh, it, is, it is a public show on this one, so uh, we will say go to YouTube. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Out, go to YouTube and out that, that out. Ladies and gentlemen, you'll get a big old kick out of it if you kind of like that cavalier attitude that K-Mag tends to have. Um, but, but yeah, no, so uh, let, me, let me pick your brain a little bit on do you think Vettel to Aston Martin is actually a thing? Because uh, I didn't see last weekend we heard about Martin Brundle having a big – sit down interview with Vettel on Thursday. And I didn't see that this weekend. Did you? No, well, the, the interview, I think it aired right before maybe about 30 minutes before the, the pit lane opened during, you know, it was really, really early in this morning. And I have to apologize as I was dodging raindrops this morning as it was quite stormy here. But um, the, the Aston connection is interesting because, you know, it would at least be a seat for Vettel where it seems like he's been running around a team after team after team saying, you know, here I am and nobody seems to want to bite. Um, clearly, the way I think Vettel has the interview with Brundle today, and I think he finally got a chance to get it all off his chest. And I think you saw him be much more relaxed and calm, and he was able to pull out a result today because of it. Um, the last two weekends, he's actually seemed more relaxed. Yeah. And I, and I'm more at ease with himself, except for the whole diving into Leclerc bit in Austria. <laughs> well, that was really more Leclerc and not him. He was just there. I think yeah. he was just more on the receiving end of things. So, you know, it, at least I think he was much more happier with he's much more happy with the car than Leclerc ever was, at least this weekend. Um and, and I think he's probably now kind of got over. I mean, it, it had to be a kick in the gut for him when he first heard, oh, by the way, you're out and nobody told him. You know, I think he found out oh, kind of over social media or through, you know, traditional media like anybody else would. You know, that's got to really suck. Yeah, he had to read it in La Gazzetta. Um, yeah. Cause Mattia, and he called Mattia and said, what's going on? Oh, yeah, P.S., you're out. Right. Which – you know, on some level, you should have let him know that, hey, P.S. said we're probably making a business decision here because Carlos Sainz has similar results to you are if we're looking, you know, case by case. And he costs one fifth what you do because you're a four time world champion and a world class car developer. So, um, you know, that's that that's kind of what it is. But it feels like there is more behind the scenes. It feels like there's some kind of bad blood that won't be talked about probably <laughs> i mean it feels like a very ugly f1 divorce and divorces in this sport are generally tend to be ugly and the problem that i have with it is bonato's lack of saying what it is then yeah everyone will get mad for two weeks and then they'll get over it 
and then they'll go back to doing what the, what it is that they do until the you know to see the rest of the contract out, and then it'll be fine. By not addressing it, you keep this tension in that Ferrari garage of Vettel not knowing well what what really was it? Is it money? Is it my you know the the, the spin cycle that he tends to put himself into sometimes? And, and and you can't give either driver any sort of confidence, and not to mention the car has just been awful to start the season. So you know the they, chassis is still bad because they yeah. don't have the power because they they well okay, they, and they cheated last year. Let's just be honest. Wink, wink. Something's missing from that engine that wasn't there <laughs> that was there last year. It's that simple. I mean, the lap times tell you that. Although the the other half of that Total Wolf interview I co- quoted earlier was fun because he said, yeah, uh, in our in our scramble to make up the power deficit to Ferrari, we ended up making a really great car and we don't have to do too much now <laughs> because we're miles ahead of everyone. <laughs> because well, Ferrari was pushing, we just didn't realize Ferrari was pushing because of that. Right. And, and now, so now you basically have, I mean, Gene Haas was famously quoted as saying, we're in Formula 1.5. Well, now you have Formula 1. Formula one and a quarter, Formula 1.5, and Alfa Romeo at the back now? Weird. <laughs> yeah, and depending on the weekend, uh, you know, Alfa Tauri might join them. Right, right. But, uh, but yeah, that, uh, but that was the main kind of crux of the, the news through the weekend was that kind of drama. Uh, Ferrari being like, oh, we don't know why our pace is gone when we got caught cheating and is Vettel going to go? Who knows? Uh, but then that led us into the race. And early this morning in the wee hours uh, in Budapest, there was a rainstorm. And it, it carried on through through the morning, and everybody thought it was going to be kind of a wet race. There was always a threat of it. So everybody was starting on intermediates. And uh, there was an accident before on the <laughs> reconnaissance lap. And what happened was one Max Verstappen actually slid in the car, wrestling a little bit of oversteer, I think, and he crashed into the wall. And Andy, I don't know if you got a close look at the damage to the car, but I could have sworn that was going to be the steering column push rod system. And oh yeah, yeah. The, and they he somehow got it back. The left wheel, there's no other way to put it, was not facing in the same direction as the right front wheel. So. You, he got it. He got it to the front of the grid, and somehow, the the Red Bull pit crew did a, an hour and a half repair in 12 minutes. Yeah, I mean that was insane. The amount of coordination and everything that that takes. Just having, a, I've been to a couple of races. I've seen kind of the mobile, you know, pit garages when when they come out on the grid. It was crazy what they were doing, and they were the fact that they were able to pull it off. When I when I first saw it, I said his wing is gone, that's his race front wing, and not only that, he ran it over when he was trying to get out of there. So and then I also said the suspension has to be suspect. I mean, there's no way he's going to be able to get the proper steering. So to actually get it back, just number one, to get it back to the to the front of the grid and take your spot is amazing. The fact that they didn't have to do a pit lane start is amazing, number two. And three, the fact that the, the pit crew managed to get whatever it was changed and it worked. It didn't fail throughout the whole course of the race today is an outstanding job to them to get that car ready to go. Totally deserving of his race result because of it. Uh, great yeah. work by Red Bull. Yeah, it was 
absolutely incredible and to me kind of solidifies the fact you know and I, i've said it a few times for those loyal listeners of the formation lap that i firmly believe that uh red bull has the strongest pit crew out there just because of their talent level their retention they're able to retain those guys and they have to be at the peak of the physical fitness for a very long time um, you know, I know, uh, Luke, my normal co-host is always one to point out that NASCAR pit crews are typically those who don't get drafted in the NFL draft here in America. <laughs> it's a lot like that. And yeah. they, you guys have to be very precise. So it was a really incredible thing. And then typically what we do after this, now that the stage is set for a bonkers race with Mercedes locking out the first four spots on the grid and everybody kind of falling in line and Red Bull having a hard time is we go through kind of team by team back to front and um which would take us well first the the first one the one that finished last is the one that didn't finish was pierre gasly who had kind of a miserable weekend it was unremarkable in every way and then he had issues so um yeah, marked mark marked mark by honda engine failure and i think he ended up taking three or four different power unit components and i think they all blew up today so he, it was, they, he, that team's going to be it hurting for for engine penalties uh moving forward just because of that is it are we going to return to the mclaren honda 2017 days where jensen button took like a 500 spot grid penalty in one race it was it was something like that um but but then we move up, and then we have uh, Latifi and Russell, so the Williams team. Uh, the Williams team, Latifi had a spin. He had a little bit of trouble out there on the course, and he finished five laps down, which is – that's that's bumpy, but he still finished. You know, that that's not half bad. Russell only one lap down. Yeah, I mean, I think they kind of a little bit caught out by the pit stop cycle. There was, you know, when we're maybe four or five laps in and the track dried out really fast, yeah. uh, as when you get Formula One cars circulating, it tends to do. Um, there was a massive run into the pits, and it was Russell and Gasly and Norris actually ended up having to stay out an extra lap because none of those teams wanted to stack uh, do the do the stacked you know two pit stops in one type deal. So with all of that traffic and with everybody trying to avoid everybody else, they ended up basically getting shuffled to the back. And on a track that's hard to overtake anyway, that's a tough ask. So I think he just kind of got shuffled back. I don't think he did anything that necessarily caused it, uh, other than just you know caught out at the wrong time. Yeah, and uh, Russell, I I think you're absolutely right. He's riding really high on that esports uh, swagger. Uh, that he got, you know, I, I love seeing replays of his Twitch streams where he's he's looking with this look of awe at the streams, <laughs> like because I'm, and he actually physically says I'm so fast, <laughs> and I, you know, it's got to be a lift for him after last year just getting beaten to death. Right. Um, but then Absolutely. we move up the grid and we have a split result here. Uh, first, Antonio Giovinazzi. So we have Alfa Romeo. Alfa Romeo had a miserable weekend. I can't kind of qualify it any other way. Kimmy was very openly critical of the car. Um, I didn't have any great uh, Kimmy quotes to put put in here, but um, I know that the one last weekend is still cracking me up that Luke and I talked about where uh, I believe, I can't remember who asked him, but someone asked him, you know, where where do you think 
the the car needs to improve? And Kimmy said, around the lap. <laughs> so it, 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 it kept up this weekend. He was very critical. I, I hope he stays next year. What do you think? I think this is going to probably push him into the land of I no longer care. I'm Kimi Raikkonen, and I can go party whenever I want to with my son. He already and, <laughs> No, I know, but there's there's not much left for him. I can't see him wanting to do a long-term development project on a team like this, which is what it, it now looks like it is. It's shocking how, you know, the early trend has been all Ferrari-powered cars really struggling, and Alpha, I think, is of the teams, has struggled the worst. So it's either they've gone in and taken what Haas was doing and kind of took it to the next level, almost like, i.e., a racing point, but in the wrong direction. So they're trying to be a B team, but they're bad at it. And I, I feel like they haven't actually developed the car since 2018. 2018, when that car was unveiled, it was sexy as could be. It looked awesome. It went really well. It was qualifying in the top 10 and, you know, finishing in the top 10. And then I don't I, – it's just been a steady fall off the cliff ever since. Yeah. And and I, they're, it seems like they're only going to get points if you have a crazy race – and other people seem to fall off because they they just don't seem to be there on pace this year. No, absolutely not. But uh, Giovinazzi, um, he is the uh, exception this year that proves the rule that pay drivers aren't that great. Um, and uh, as a Ferrari feeder driver, I think his seat is destined for Mick Schumacher. Should uh, should Mick decide to score some more points, uh, maybe he'll get another magical car this year. Who knows? Like F3 last year when all of a sudden, oh, no, he's got a new car and he's winning again. How'd that <laughs> happen? Gee. Um, but that takes us up to four, P14, uh, or no, P16, uh, the one that split the Alfa Romeos. That was Roman Grosjean of Haas, a miserable fall from grace because uh, we talked about it a little bit before. Uh, but Haas did something really, really awesome. And as the race was starting on... Uh, on the first lap, they ducked into the pits. They called it. They ducked into the pits and switched to slicks. And they were running, like, I believe, P3 and P5 for a very long time. Well, they, they started on wet tires. And wets. I Not, laughed. It's full wets. Yeah. Everyone else goes on an inners. They're on full wets. So I started laughing. I'm sure half the grid started laughing at them. They duck into the pits, which usually, which means now they've given up their grid spots and it's a pit lane start to go on to slicks. And everyone's looking at them like, you've got to be kidding. But four laps in when the track dried out really quickly, they're on the right tire at the right time. It's P3 and P4. Magnuson did a great job of, of, of keeping up. Uh, the relative race pace, Grosjean, it just wasn't there for him. But what he ended up doing was he ended up playing, I think, a really good role of rear gunner for Magnussen because he was basically holding everybody up because he was so slow. I don't think if that doesn't happen the way that it goes, I don't think Magnussen gets in the points today. So, it, yeah, it doesn't look like on paper a great result, but I actually think he did a great job for the team. Magnuson did Grosjean did Grosjean things <laughs> didn't didn't do that great but um you know I don't think Andy or I has the highest opinion of uh Roman Grosjean's skills uh and I've been kind of public about that but 
Um, yeah, no, they they did a genius move up front because to make up for a knucklehead move, which they've kind of become more known for recently. I believe it was uh, <laughs> it was Gunter Steiner himself who said, uh, you know, we look like rock stars and then we look like wankers, and they looked like both this morning. It was wankers to begin with, and then rock stars. Yeah. And then they started to fall off the pace. But I, yeah, I agree with you, Andy. I don't think they would have gotten as good of a placement as they did without that. And um, after the race, it was decided that since the call was made over the radio, that they would be relegated one place each with a 10-second penalty. So Magnuson scores P10. Grosjean uh, scores it doesn't really matter <laughs> the thing anyway. So, um, but that was kind of miserable. Uh, thrilled for uh, the result for Magnuson though, but that will wrap up Haas nicely. Um, and then we move up since we've already talked about uh, Alpha, we head up to the lowest ranked driver of this team, which is Esteban Ocon in the Renault. Um, I don't think a lot can be said for Esteban's return to F1. Yeah, it kind of has been very much meh. It, yeah. If you if you can have a meh drive, I mean, granted, he's coming from a Mercedes program where he was expecting to be in a, in a silver and black car, and, and that's kind of where it, where he thought he was going to be. I think he's just for right now happy to be on the grid. Um, but he's not really necessarily doing a whole lot in the races. He's, you know, he did get a, a quiet P8 in the first race, and that was, I think, mainly due to everyone else kind of crashing around him. You know, he finished okay in the second one, but this one, five percent of the field did DNF with right, that. right. So. so I mean, in this one, he really didn't. Again, he got caught out in that the, that whole pit stop shuffle early on in the race. He ended up kind of in the back unable to really overtake anybody and started where he finished P14. Yeah, that was, that was a miserable race for him. Um, and then uh, the other member of the Renault team, uh, future McLaren driver, and absolutely no one can see us right now. Um, we are in podcast land, but Andy <laughs> has a McLaren hat on. I have a McLaren shirt on yep. uh, because, and I don't know about you, Andy, but McLaren is currently my favorite team on the grid just because I love what Zach Brown has done uh, to turn that team around, to completely rebuild it. You're absolutely right that Pat Fry is the most underrated person in the F1 paddock right now, and um, they they are currently rock per, perfectly rock and roll. Lando Norris has spent the last two races just lighting the world on fire and honestly i kind of expected a bad result this weekend because there's no way that Renault engine has much left in it after you know pressing the overtake button <laughs> uh, the last two weekends so he ends up p13 uh carlos signs though ends up a respectable ninth um both of them i believe uh were lapped by lewis hamilton because mercedes is just destroying everyone <laughs> But um, it was an all right weekend for them. They they didn't have anything markedly go bad, but they weren't, you know, they it was just a humdrum, they were there type of weekend, which for McLaren after the last, what, five seasons? We'll take that. I'm going to go in a little bit of a different direction and say 
this one kind of hurts a little bit as a as a lifelong McLaren fan who's been long suffering. And and, and I'm going to say that and, and I'm going to say that that's a good thing. It's a good thing when you can actually raise your expectations because you know your team is good. And that's kind of where I feel like we are. Yeah, Lando didn't have the best race today. He got caught out in the pit stops. Uh, Signs got into it with Latifi in the pit lane. That kind of really cost him. But the team rallies, they're doing so much better than where they've been. The car is stable. They're coming into a Mercedes Hello power unit next year. I think the future is ridiculously bright for these guys. I'm I'm so excited for the future. Um, 2022 can't get here fast enough for me because I think they're the team to watch. I completely agree. I'm excited for Lando Norris and Daniel Ricciardo to drive together next year. I think that's going to be the ultimate driver lineup for me, um, just because personality-wise and driver style-wise, it's really great. I loved uh, seeing Lando and Charles Leclerc duke it out for three or four laps, and and, uh, Charles not being able to get really past Lando for a while. I think it really bodes well for uh, the overall racecraft that Lando has uh, moving forward and you know he also duked it out with signs but I'll I'll leave that for later because those are two future teammates and that both of them both of those uh, on track duels were almost surgical in their precision they were three really great drivers really doing well and you know being elbows out but also respectful of not wanting to kill one another so I, I thought that was really cool but um, the thing I'll come back to is something that Luke and I talked about two weeks ago, which is, um, Andy, are you familiar with the uh, musician Warren Zevon? Not initially, but go ahead and make your no. point. <laughs> uh, he, had, he had a song and a quote a long time ago with uh, in, that said, essentially, enjoy every sandwich. Um, and for 2020 to see Lando and Carlos do as well as they've done the last two weekends. I'm enjoying every minute of it. You know, it's not, we're not watching, you know, the, the Honda in the back of the McLaren right. sound like a, a box of spanners and, <laughs> and, you know, it sounds pretty good this year. It looks really good this year. So I'm enjoying every minute of it. They're not embarrassing. So I'll take it. Right. right. Um, I, yeah, absolutely. I mean, compared to where they've been, you know, when you were looking at, you know, P15 is, Oh, that's actually not so bad to where they are now. It's it's miles. And like I said, I think the future is so bright for them. I'm so excited to see what they're going to do. Me too. I, I can't speak highly enough of uh, what Zach Brown did in as short a time as he did it, uh, taking over from the misery of the Ron Dennis days, uh, the end of the Ron Dennis days. I'm not saying that Ron Dennis, he did his thing. Woking yep. is the house yep. that Ron built. I get it. But um, you know, things needed to change and I'm glad to see also an American sponsor on uh, McLaren right now on the pit crew and everybody on the pit wall. Klipsch is uh, now their headphone sponsor. So yep. Yep. Good on Klipsch. I don't know, little American thing right there. Overseas listeners might find that a little bit, you know, nationalist, but whatever guys, I gotta <laughs> somehow I have Haas get off my back. Um, so, and then we move up to P12. Daniel Kvyat actually ranked in P12 with his other Alpha Tauri. What do you think of this? I, I actually thought he had a pretty respectable weekend, and Daniel's a, just a damn good driver. Yeah, I mean, definitely getting the most out of the package I think that they have. 
you know, when they've been able to kind of keep the car together, he's been the more consistent of the two between him and Gasly for sure. Um, he's definitely had many fewer engine type issues and, and things like that. So, um, you know, for a guy that got kind of shuffled to the back in the Red Bull hierarchy, not once, not twice, but almost three times, really, when you think about it, the fact that he's making the most out of his drive and basically forcing that team to keep him in that seat. It's pretty good on him. So fair play to him. Well done. Yeah, that's that's a really great fall from grace comeback story. And, um, you know, couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. Every interview I see, he's just as gracious as he can be and humble. So uh, for me, as a as a fan of any sport, I like seeing that someone who's you know, braggadocious and, you know, big and loud and bombastic. I'm not as big a fan of because they clearly, I can relate to that more. So, um, but P11, we're now going to get into the top teams because uh, we've already talked about, you know, uh, P9, P8, and uh, the and P10 a little bit. But uh, P11, outside the points, is actually a shocking presence and that is one Charles Leclerc of Ferrari. This yeah. was a really brutal weekend for them. I think this is going to be a brutal couple of seasons for them with this rate. Yeah, I mean, it's just they're so far down on power and it's just kind of affecting everything that they do now. And, you know, wink, wink, we know kind of now why. Um, you know, we don't necessarily know all the details at some point it's going to come out and I'm going to love to try to get into exactly what it was that they were doing that forced them to go so fast that now that apparently they can't do it anymore. Um, but you know, it, it's such a weird position for that team to be in, uh, you know, chomping at the bottom of the points. It's just, it's not a good look for them. They clearly, you know, they brought the big arrow upgrade that we didn't get to see in the last race because they both crashed. So they brought it here and it, didn't probably do the job. It's definitely not a B car like you like we heard. Um, so what they do with the rest of this season, I don't know if you just kind of chuck it and say, you know, we're just going to develop what we can. That's really about all they can really do. They're not going to they're not going to get the driver the, the constructors championship. They're nowhere near in the drivers championship with either of their cars. So you know they basically kind of have to consolidate their own position and try to get as much prize money as they can out of the season because I think they're lost. I completely agree. Lost, I think, is the operative term for what Ferrari is right now. It's really sad to see a team with that history uh, kind of come so far down. And the other thing that's kind of astonishing is that their budget should have them in the top every time. They spend just under what Mercedes spends and are getting nothing. Right. Um, so Charles Leclerc. They had they Charles Leclerc. I genuinely thought Charles Leclerc jumped the start with how good his start was today. Um, I thought he kind of he jumped around Botas really fast, and eventually it came out that Botas had actually jump started himself, and then everything just kind of looked crummy. But um, everything just went wrong. No, the strategy call didn't go that great, and he ended up P11. So. Um, rough rough weekend for him his compatriot though the one the unceremoniously ousted sebastian vettel not half bad he actually ended up p6 yeah i mean kind of a bit of a redemption drive for vettel kind of this entire weekend has kind of been you know hey i still have some some juice left in the tank 
you know, he's not necessarily ready to ride, ride off into the sunset. And, you know, if you're in the position that Vettel's in and you're basically now, uh, you know, doing a, a, a seven or eight race job interview for your next job, this is a good start for him. Fair play. Well done. Job interview for his next job. That's a great way to put it. That's a great way to look at it. I, I hope by Silverson we know where he ends up. But um, you're right. He When he's relaxed, he's an otherworldly driver. I don't believe right, uh, right at Hamilton's level, but still. Not anymore. Uh, no, not anymore, for sure. Um, but we move up again. Uh, we've already touched on K-Mag. We've touched on Sainz. We've touched on Ricardo, P10, uh, 9, and 8, respectively. And that brings us to the first racing point, uh, ending up at P7, is Checo. An okay weekend for him. Not great but not terrible. He did get summarily beaten by his teammate, which is the first time I can think of in a while that Checo's been shellacked like that. Yeah. I mean, he was kind of noticeably unnoticed so much on the coverage today because I didn't really see much about, you know, his particular race. Um, Stroll got him and <laughs> held on to the position, which is kind of a shocking thing to say. You know, normally you would expect Checo to get his elbows out and, you know, that would be the end of the Lance Stroll experiment. But, you know, it just didn't seem to happen for, for them today. You know, they've they've obviously, you know, clearly with the copying of the Mercedes, they've made a huge step forward, huge step forward in terms of relative lap pace and, and even race pace. But I think the only thing that's holding Racing Point back, if there is anything holding them back, and, and again, you know, it's P7 and, you know, really respectable, you know, drive for stroll today at P4 um, is kind of their race strategy a little bit. They tend to try to, you know, fumble over themselves a little bit, probably because they're not used to necessarily being in the positions that they are. That'll come with time, you know, w- racing in that upper tier of the F1 grid is a little bit different than racing in the midfield. So I have a funny feeling that that they'll sort themselves out that way, assuming that they, the car gets ruled legal. Um, you know, they're, they're in a window to dominate for this year and next year, and that's going to serve them really well because then the Aston Martin money comes in and going into the 2022 regs, you know, now they've got a really good shot to, to put some money into the car and have some long-term success beyond just maybe a year out here or there. Yeah, that's that's some added prize money, and the fact that Lance Stroll is not doing half bad. He ended up just off the podium today. Well, just. I say that he was a full <laughs> minute behind Botas. Um, it, it turned into just uh, Team Mercedes beating the rest of the field to death. Um, everybody up to P5 was one lap down. <laughs> that's uh, crazy. It, it's just the most insane thing, but we'll get to... Uh, the king here in a little bit, um, but let me let me ask you this: with uh, Lance Stroll and Checo here at seven and four, and Vettel probably taking the Checo seat, there I heard I saw rumblings on German Twitter, and I wanted to kind of get your read on how ridiculous this would be that he's not the only German coming over. So who are they going to get? They're going to get Hulkenberg back out of retirement. Total Wolf. Oh well, that would be a major shift. I have no reason to think why Total Wolf would need to leave where he is, unless he wants to say that he's done it three times now. You know. Well, but, why did Ross Braun go to Braun GP? 
Right. Yeah. I, I mean, unless he, Total Wolf's decided that he that he doesn't have any other challenges, or there's no other dragons to slay with Mercedes, and then he wants to build it somewhere else. You know, well, he so might. He, he created the dragon he needs to slay now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, I I I'll believe that when I see it. I, I think a lot of it is is a little smoke and mirrors, but you know, in the media out there. But you know, you never know. You know, I. I the, we never thought I would ever say Sebastian Vettel leaves Red Bull, and then I turned up to a practice in 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 Japan, and that was the headline. And you know, whoa, you know, or going to Ferrari, or you know, so anything is always possible in this sport. I, I never want to say anything never. I don't see it at this point, but that doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. So you know, this might be one of those recordings that comes back to me in ten years and says, "Boy, were you off the mark." <laughs> Andy, remember, it's 2020. <laughs> very true all bets are off but that uh brings us to one of the ones that split between uh the racing points which is alexander albon the other being sebastian Vettel, who we've covered uh pretty extensively at this point alex albon i think had a really great race i think bringing wrestling that car back from where he started way down uh, in P10. And he actually slipped farther back because of the pit stops. He, he was in something like P14 or P15 at one point, uh, probably in the early 20-something range lap-wise, if anybody wants to go back and take a look. He charged through the field and put that thing in P5. Yeah, sure. yeah. not well, easy. Outstanding drive for him today. Um, you know, definitely the king of the overtakes. Um, I remember, yeah, I mean, on a track, that's really hard to do that. I mean, I remember I was, I was at circuit of the Americas last year and I think one of my headlines from it was he passed more cars than I did getting in and out of the circuit. And that's kind of where he was again today. It was just, and for a guy that was so lost, it seemed in qualifying and, you know, is that, you know, is, is, is the heat turned up on his seat now because he's not matching Verstappen or anything else. To have that kind of redemption drive, I think, again, is, is going to help him. He just needs to settle down and kind of have him do him and, and you know, realize that he can have as much influence on that team as, as a Verstappen and not be overshadowed so much. I think if he can kind of wrestle control of at least his side of the garage, he'll do well. I could not agree more. I think it's just finding his own voice within that team and realizing that, Red Bull realizes that no one's going to match Max, except for maybe Lewis. Right. And Red Bull of all of all teams will totally get that. He needs to just be him, and him is a damn good driver. And I know that coming into this weekend, he's got the yips from getting off by Lewis Hamilton what three times, twice in the last twice. four races. Yeah. That's a pretty brutal way to go. Um, so he's he's kind of coming back, and then he he got off by a Mercedes. I I think a force uh, or a, God, I keep <laughs> calling it Force India. Ah, VJ Malia endorses this podcast. I miss I miss VJ. He was such a colorful character. Um, I love characters in the paddock. Uh, that's why Eddie Jordan doesn't always rub me the wrong way. Um, but uh, racing point. Uh, Racing Point actually offed him in, in P1 or P2. Uh, 
on like Thursday or Friday. So he's got to have some kind of PTSD at, at this point. And to see him kind of in race, put his head back together and pull it out. That to me was the driver of the day. Now the driver of the day award by voting for F1.com actually went to Max Verstappen, the other Red Bull driver. And I, I don't have a strong argument as to why that's not the case. It's re- he did a really great job today, starting in P7 and starting the day with his car in the wall. You know, that to, to mentally put yourself back together, to watch your entire team coalesce around you to do an hour and a half repair in 12 minutes and know that you cannot let them down and you actually put it the second step on the podium. I mean, I agree with his quote that that's as good as a win. Yeah, for, for them and where they are, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, to I can't even imagine, you know, I, I what it would feel like having to drive the car back and then get out and then try to look over the like. There's a shot of him like looking over the pit crew's shoulders as they're trying to put the car back together, and and, and to feel just horrifically guilty and all the pressures on and and all that stuff happens and then you got to recenter, you, you got to put that behind you and you have ten minutes to do it, and you don't know. If if you send it into turn one, is that car going to actually be there for him? And then I think once he got to that point and he realized it was fine, he was able to settle settle back down and kind of do what he does, which is kind of out, which is out drive the car. And yeah, great drive to finish P2 for him. Yeah, it's it, it doesn't look nearly the amount of seconds that he actually finished as bad as it really was for you know where lewis was because he was kind of off in his own stratosphere but um yeah great drive for him um you know he does technically mathematically keep his championship hopes alive when they could have totally been squandered so you know if if they can kind of develop the car like i said what we need to have is at least a foil for mercedes and max is in right now the best position to do that yeah i completely agree and you know talent wise there's nobody else i would put even in the same ballpark as Lewis Hamilton and Max deserves that conversation. So um, that's pretty great, but it brings us to the top sharp end, the bleeding edge of formula one, which is the Mercedes team and Valtteri Bottas uh, put it on P3 and uh, Lewis Hamilton obviously ran away with the race, grabbed the trophy and then came back and smacked everybody with it and slapped them. (laughs) Um, it was it was a bludgeoning that he handed the field. Uh, it was his 90th pole uh, position of his career. And uh, when someone informed that of informed him of that after the race, after the qualifying session uh, in the press briefing, he stood there, put his hands on his hips and said, holy shit, really? And <laughs> I think he's even surprised by it. Um, but. I will say this for Valtteri Bottas, as who is now firmly his rear gunner. Um, Valtteri only was off by a tenth in qualifying, so he's right there with with Lewis in terms of making that car do exactly what it should do. Um, as for the rest, he was about twenty seconds off Lewis in the race. Lewis was in a stratosphere of his own, like you said. He's there. There's no one that can match him. I think. Uh, I think he's tied. He tied Michael Schumacher for uh, the most number of wins in one place. Schumacher had eight at Mag- at Magnicore, and uh, Lewis has eight here in the Hungaro ring. Um, Valtteri turned in a really, really great weekend, but I think the overshadowing 
conversation has to be, is Lewis the greatest of all time? Well, he's certainly making a case for it. I mean, my gosh. I mean, he was in a world of his own. This is what this is greatness being great. And I, I can't say it any any more bluntly, really, than that. Um, where do you fault for him this weekend? Nothing. You know, he was he, he came in when he is motivated and when he is pushed and whether or not it's the whole Black Lives Matter thing that's kind of got under his skin a little bit. But he's just decided that I'm just going to be the best out there and dare anybody to come find me. And no one is coming to find him. So, I mean, right now, the only thing that's going to stop Lewis is some sort of freaky mechanical failure or something that happens inside of his own head, because I don't see the rest of the grid catching up right now. I mean, this was a masterclass. Masterclass does not describe what this was, but I can't think of any other word really to say about it. And it was just an amazing, amazing weekend for him. And this is the second weekend in a row. Yeah. Like last weekend in Austria, he put in my favorite qualifying lap I've ever seen him do in the wet, and he beat everybody by 1.2 seconds. And he didn't even have to do it. That was the no. amazing part of that. He did you it know, for fun. Right. I mean, most engineers in that situation would call off the lap and say, you know, save what's left of the tires, do whatever, you know, come into the pits, you're safe, you've got pole. No, he just finished the lap, 1.5 seconds clear of everyone else, yeah. just because he yeah. could. That's just it's just insane. Yeah. And uh, and yeah. So then this weekend he comes in and puts in. I genuinely did not see. And I've looked. I looked at the onboard. Um, you know, for his qualifying lap early this morning in the wee hours. That's probably why I missed the Vettel interview because I was watching that. <laughs> I didn't see him put one millimeter wrong. It was the essence of precision. And I just. Personally, for me, he's the goat. That's I mean, it was the the perfect combination of uh, man and machine. Really, really, really was. I mean, they were working off each other so well that yeah, I, I didn't see anything wrong with his qualifying lap either. Um, yeah, yeah I, I I I can't throw any more platitudes toward the guy right now. I mean, <laughs> the drivers' championship is probably over with, and we're at round three. Yeah, so it's, it's that's how good he is. He right he now. he hung his towel on it already. It's done. Yeah, um, yeah. But, I mean, going into the season, we all knew that. Lewis has a different gear. You know, everybody else will scrap it away, and he'll be miles down the road. So um, we knew it going in, going in, but all watching it never ceases to surprise even the most seasoned of Formula One uh, fans. Um, but before we go into – got, we've got two awards to hand out this week. How long have you been a Formula One fan, Andy? Uh, I've been an F1 fan since like the late 90s. I mean, I got into it with Schumacher v. Hakkinen, and that was Ferrari versus McLaren, and that's kind of how I ended up being with McLaren because McLaren let their guys race and Ferrari issued team orders. So that was kind of the, the determining factor for me. So go. I've been a McLaren guy ever since. Awesome. So you're a fan of doing things for the fans, right? So you let let the drivers race, let them do that. Leads nicely into our first award, which is the People's Champion. Um, the People's Champion is an award that we give to, and just like the name sounds, we're very simple people down here in St. Louis. We don't <laughs> do things that complicated because we're not as smart as our Chicago brethren. But... We, it's essentially who put on the best show this weekend. And I have a nominee if you don't have any off the top of your head. 
I'm going to give it to Alex Albon. Yeah, King of the overtakes on the track that you're not supposed to be able to overtake, uh, you know, P 14 or 13 or wherever he was to, to, to where he finished was an amazing drive for him. Like I said before, really good to see a redemption drive for a guy that, that was kind of getting a little bit done wrong, but he, but it's in his court now. If he can take control of that team a little bit, I think the future is bright for him. That that's absolutely true. The, the people's champion that I would throw out there, the nominee, is Max Verstappen's pit crew. Ah, there you go. So um, normally we would vote and, and give our litigate the case, if you will. But to be honest, I like them both too much. So I think we just give it to Alex Albon and the pit crew because, damn, did they yeah. put on a great show. That was a great show for the people this weekend. So congratulations to Alex Albon and the Red Bull pit crew. Uh, you guys did awesome this weekend, and we cannot wait to see you in Silverstone. Um, and then we also have another uh, <laughs> another award uh, for the worst thing of the week. We actually call it Connor Daly's Yikes of the Week. <laughs> it's time for Connor Daly's Yikes of the Week. Yikes! <laughs> Connor Daly, and I'm absolutely certain that Luke, in the post-edit, is putting in the Connor Daly, yikes, because <laughs> he uh, he listened to a uh, racial slur on the uh, iRacing over the win- over the COVID quarantine, and he said, wait, he just said that? Oh, his career is over, yikes, <laughs> and so we've, uh, we've made this into a little bit of a thing, so... Worst thing you saw all weekend or your yikes of the week? Oh, that's tough. Um, Pierre Gasly's engine. (laughs) (laughs) The fact that they put in all new units and all new bits and everything, and it just, that's really disturbing. And, you know, you're three races in, and now you're already looking at engine penalties. So, you know, yeah, got to give it to Honda on that one because, yeah, that was bad. That was rough. That was rough. And I, you know, we put, so we actually have in our studio, we have the wall of fame and the wall of shame. Mm. If you're on the wall of shame, the rule is that you can't be nominated for the yikes of the week because we're too, we're actually kind of tired of pissing on you a little bit, but I'm going to have to say that the entire Ferrari team, even though Ferrari's on the wall of shame right now, <laughs> of slagging them off. God, it just, uh, there's no bottom. Like, this seems to be terrible. You know, it's Vettel out in Q2. It's it's Leclerc out in Q2. Your car is garbage. And I just, I that, yeah, Team Ferrari is just my yikes of the week this week. Um, so congratulations to both <laughs> Honda and Ferrari for being our uh, yikes of the week. You are absolutely terrible. Um, but overall for you this weekend, as we look at, at – 2020 what do you think and i haven't prepared you for this at all so i'm gonna put you on the spot and i apologize ish but um what if you were if the season since it's 2020 if the season were to stop tomorrow because covid flares up everybody's got to go home what do you think so far of the 2020 season i think the the races themselves have actually been quite entertaining um the two they big stick processional like they were no, like no. two years ago. No, not at all. And and the two big takeaways that I'm going to take away from, you know, from these three races. Number one, Lewis Hamilton domination. 
Um, like, like we, we were just talking about the guys in another universe right now. And it's, it's on the rest of the grid to, to, to come into that universe and challenge him. And to the, the emergence of one Lando Norris, um, you know, king of the last lap, as I like to call him, because, you know, he puts I that McLaren that. In, in, into that magic scenario seven and, and good things tend to happen. So, um, sure you know, sure watching what Max you sure hope, yeah, what, what, what you hope is the next you're watching the great one. And what you're hoping is you're watching the next one uh, come into his own a little bit in Lando Norris, because and, and my other main, main theme would be that the kids are all right. You look at Leclerc, you look at Norris, you look at George Russell, you look even at a at an Albon, um, you know, the, the next generation of Formula One drivers are strong. And they're going to be able to to hopefully put on great shows for us, the, the fans, for years to come. So, you know, we were always kind of worried about, you know, when is the next generation going to take over? I think they're doing it, and they're doing a great job. And I, I don't think there's going to be a single offseason moving forward where those guys aren't all doing, like, esports, racing in the offseason just to give some entertainment and, you know, to keep themselves sharp and to have some fun. I love their respect level for each other. Uh, George Russell, uh, in after the qualifying session, everybody was kind of slagging off Alex Albon, and George Russell quickly came to his aid and said, no, everybody needs to stop. They're all very respectful of one another, and I think that's what I like most about them is that they not only are, you're right, the kids are all right, they're going to be really, really great, but they're also extraordinarily respectful, and I think the world needs a little bit more of that. It'll be interesting to see as they all rise through their respective teams when that respect turns a little bit, you know, where one of them will will touch the other one and 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 not not necessarily in, in a car standpoint in not the right place and and you know we'll send one <laughs> of the guys into the wall and and you know it'll be interesting to see if that friendship and that camaraderie can survive something like that. Um, but you know, yeah, we've both said it. I, th- I think the future is really bright for the sport with these guys. Yeah, no, I, and I think that is the perfect place to park it, sir. Thank you very much, Andy. Thank you to everyone listening at home. Uh, Luke and I will be back next week, and I'm sure we're going to be doing more with the Outlap uh, here very shortly because it's always a blast to chat with these guys and rib them a little bit for Chicago. But, you know. Well, well I, I've been contractually obligated to say from my other two cohorts that three is more than one. Uh, call me when you get to number two. And, uh, yeah, Big Macs have steroids in them. I mean, I I can't disagree. <laughs> that. Um, I am contractually obligated to point out uh, that, yeah, you're, my, my guy with the stretch marks on his neck was not the only one juicing that season. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I got nothing else to the other two. We, we're just happy. We're going to be drunk as hell down here. So, uh, but... <laughs> But anyway, it's always a good time talking to you guys. And uh, Andy, it's been a pleasure, and we will get to catch you all next week. Yes, sir. Um, yeah, it, it, oh. enjoy. Yeah. And Andy can be found on social media. What's your Twitter, Twitter, uh, my, my Twitter, Twitter, actually, Twitter handle? My, my Twitter handle is at AFP3626, but you can find the show at, at Outlap F1 Podcast. Um, we're on the show's on Twitter all the time. I'm on Twitter a lot during the week. Um, random F1 thoughts. My idiocy uh, tends to come out a little bit more on my own Twitter than I than I than I give to the show. But uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, feel free to follow us. Uh, you know, give us a listen. Uh, we try to do shows 
uh, reviews, previews, all that, all that good stuff. Um, try to get it at least once one show out there a week. Uh, now that we're into the, the, the crux of the season. So, um, yeah, we're out there and we'd love to hear from you, uh, and, 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 and take your opinions and, and we'll, we'll put you on the show. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, as always, we are at the formation lab one one on Twitter and, uh, I am at Tim STLF one. Um, but it's been great guys. We will see you same time next week. Later. Later.